Gotta figure out how all this works. We're having some figuring out the technology. Yeah. <laughs> it's up there. All right. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 44. And I'm not entirely sure how we ordinarily teach this, but uh, I, I'm, I'm giving a new term. This is a half class. Wednesday nights, I'm going to do a, a full class with lots of participation. This is a, a half class where it's a little bit of participation. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes, and, and we can um, figure it out from there. I'm going to start out a story. A young boy, about eight years old, was at uh, the corner grocery store, and, and he was shopping around. He's going through the aisles, uh, and the grocer walks up to him and asks, son, you know, what are you looking for? Can I help you find anything? And you know, the boy said, well, I need some laundry detergent. I need a lot of laundry detergent. You know, grocer asked, well, do you have a lot of laundry to do? You no, know, no laundry, but I'm going to wash my dog. Grocer says, you shouldn't wash your dog with this. It's very powerful. If you wash your dog with this, uh, he could get very sick. In fact, it might kill him. But the boy was not going to be stopped. He, he was one of those kids you can't tell anything to. And he carried the detergent to the counter, and he paid for it. And once again, the grocer left him with one last warning. Son, if, if you use this, your, your dog's going to get sick. About a week later, the, the boy was back to buy some candy, and the, and the grocer asked him about the dog. Uh, and a tear starts going down at his face, and he says, oh, he died. And the grocer, you know, trying not to be in a, and I told you so, uh, mode said he, he was sorry that the dog died, but he added, yeah, I tried to tell you not to use that detergent on your dog. Well, the boy replied, I don't think it was the detergent that killed him. Wait for it. I think it was the spin cycle. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> this morning we saw those four basics that the early church was trained in from the beginning. They were the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And this afternoon I want to focus on that last one, that final practice of prayer, because it shows us you know, that the early disciples, they were trained to listen. You know, one of the core principles that moved them into the unknown and daunting future was listening. But unlike the disciples and more like that boy at the grocery store, there are some people who you just can't tell anything to. Their minds are like steel traps, tightly shut, difficult to open, and they have their mind made up and they're not going to change it for you or for me or for God. And that's pretty much the situation we discover here in our text of Jeremiah 44. And go ahead and open there because I've got it up on the screen, hopefully. But we're going to jump around a little bit because really we're studying the whole chapter and the chapter's long. We just don't have time to read it all. So we're going to uh, read through some of the highlights. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and on all the cities of Judah. And behold, this day they are a desolation, and no one dwells in them because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, and that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they did not know, they nor you nor your fathers. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. 
But they did not listen or incline their ear to turn from their wickedness to burn no incense to other gods. So my fury and my anger were poured out and kindled in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, and they are wasted and desolate as it is this day. So there's this concept of pride. The Israelites, they were not going to listen even though God sent his prophets early on and warned them steadily. And in verse 11, we see God's response to them ignoring what God has warned them of. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for catastrophe and for cutting off all of Judah, and I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to go into the land of Egypt to dwell there, and they shall all be consumed and fall in the land of Egypt. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine. They shall die from the least to the greatest by the sword and by famine, and they shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach. For I will punish those who dwell in the land of Egypt as I have punished Jerusalem by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, so that none of the remnant of Judah who have gone into the land of Egypt to dwell there shall escape or survive, lest they return to the land of Judah to which they desire to return and dwell. For none shall return except those to escape. You know, let that sink in. This is a message directly from God going through Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the, vessel, or the vehicle uh, that God used to give Israel this warning, and the Almighty God is promising catastrophe to these people for what they're doing, consumption by sword and by famine. And Israel should know that God, this is an empty threat for him. It's happened already. That's what we read here in this section. But somehow, uh, all right, skip over. Somehow they still have the nerve to make this response in verse 15. It says, Then all the men who knew that their wives had burned incense to other gods, with all the women who stood by, a great multitude, and all the people who dwelt in the land of Egypt, and Pathros answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. As we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food, were well off and saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine." The women also said, and when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make cakes for her to worship her and pour out drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? Then Jeremiah spoke to all the people, the men, the women, and all the people who had given him that answer, saying, the incense that you burned in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your princes and the people of the land, did not rem the Lord remember them? And did it not come into his mind? So the Lord could no longer bear it because of the evil of your doings and because of the abominations which you committed. Therefore, your land is a desolation, an astonishment, a curse, and without an inhabitant as it is this day, because you have burned incense and because you have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord or walked in his law, in his statutes, or in his testimonies. Therefore, this calamity has happened to you at this, as at this day. And we'll stop there for now. But Jeremiah, he warns the people that God is upset with their behavior. And they respond, we will not listen to the message that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord. That's the exact quote in verse 16. They have made up their minds. They like what they're doing. They have no intention of listening to Jeremiah. 
no intention of listening to God or listening to anyone else. And before we discuss this, it helps to have a little bit of background. And the Babylonians had, had just destroyed the nation of Judah up to now. Jerusalem uh, is destroyed. The survivors of that tragedy had, had followed Jeremiah down into Egypt looking for sanctuary. And it appears that they've now been in Egypt for a while, but they've forgotten the lessons that they should have learned from God's punishment of their nation before. They, they've fallen back into their old ways. It, it says that these are things that they were doing in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, right? Burning these incense. That's what they used to do. And somehow they forgot that God punished them for that, and they're back to doing it again. So God's upset with something they're doing, and the Jews have no intention of changing their behavior. So what is it exactly that they're doing that God does not like? This is where you can answer if you choose. What are they doing that God is not happy with? Idol worship? What else? Have they turned completely to this queen of heaven? Is she their God now? Right? Mm hmm And it's certainly not appreciating Jehovah, but do they remember Jehovah? Do they know who he is? Is he still connected with the, the nation of Israel at this point? I'm going to introduce you to $10 word here in a second. Syncretism. Putting multiple religions together to form something that doesn't resemble either. The Jews were practicing syncretism here. Syncretism is the attempt to combine two or more religions in your life. Smorgasbord faith. A little bit of God here. A little bit of paganism there. The Jews, they had not forgotten Jehovah. Jehovah was still around. They just wanted a little bit of an insurance policy. It's not a, a pure faith. It's a, a, a mixture of two or more religious disciplines. Now, look with me in Jeremiah 44, 17. You know, part of Judah's rationale for offering incense and drink offerings to pagan gods was this. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our mouth, meaning to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food. We were well off. We saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we've lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. You know, the Jews, they were using the, the syncretism as a kind of religious homeowner's policy. If one god was good, they figured several gods has to be better. And I don't believe that they had totally abandoned the idea of being a people of Jehovah. I, I suspect that they practiced that part of their faith as well to a degree, but they, they wanted to buy a little bit extra religious insurance so that their homes would be protected, that their livelihoods would be protected, and so that their lives would be better. But does God seem pleased with this idea? Doesn't sound like it to me. And at first glance, you think this is no big deal. I mean, so what if they offered a little incense and poured out a few drink or yeah, drink offerings to a pagan goddess? What's the big deal? It's not like they're they're stealing or robbing or killing anybody here. Who's the victim in this crime? It, it seems like it doesn't have a victim. They're just Hedging their bets. So why is it so wrong to mix one religion with another? Who is the victim in that scenario? Okay? 
One answer could be God. And we know that all sin is ultimately against God, especially with idols, our, first, or our, our false worship. It steals glory that rightfully belongs to him. We know that our God is a jealous God. In the second commandment, you shall not make for yourselves carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. But I think it's a stretch to call God a victim here. He doesn't need us in that way where, where we could victimize him. So if God isn't at least the only victim, who else could be the victim here? Okay. In the New Testament, we read about Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman at the well, right? And having a conversation with her. And in the midst of that little talk, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman what? Salvation is from the Jews in John 4.22. And what did he mean by, by that? He meant that God's plan for salvation of the world centered on these people that Jeremiah is talking to, on the Jewish nation. The Jews had been selected by God to receive his laws. They had been chosen by God to show what it meant to be God's special people. And ultimately, they were to be the nation where the Messiah would be born. As Paul wrote in Romans 9, 4 through 5, the Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. And the nation of Judah was a linchpin in God's plan for the salvation of mankind. And what these Jews were doing was watering things down. They were attempting to substitute something new into God's plans. And essentially, they were playing with things they didn't understand. They didn't even understand how dangerous they truly were. They thought they were just being a little extra careful. They thought they could hedge their bets and get a little bit of extra protection from this queen of heaven. And left to themselves, they were going to blow something up. So who was the victim of this crime of syncretism? Ultimately, it was you and me. You know, mixing of religions was and is dangerous for us sitting in this room. For the Jews, they're watering things down by offering these extra uh, uh, burnt offerings was contrary and damaging to God's plans because ultimately uh, they were watering down the, 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 the bloodline for the Messiah to come possibly was going to affect the lives of, of countless millions of people. God wasn't going to permit that quite clearly, and he shows that here in Jeremiah 44. And for us today, is, is syncretism still dangerous, not just for us, but other people around us? I think so. When, you start to, when this generation right here starts to water things down, when we say, you know what, let's hedge our bets, let's add a few things into God's word, and teach our gener next generation that, waters things down for them. And eventually it puts their salvation on the line. If that's what happened to the Jews in that day, could it happen again today? Yeah. People try to mix idolatry in with Christianity all the time. I've got a quote from Tina Turner. I'm a Buddhist Baptist. The flash in the middle. My training is Baptist, and I can still relate to the Ten Commandments. It's all very close long as you contact the subconscious mind. That's where the coin of the Almighty is. I don't care what you feel about me and my tight pants on stage and my lips and my hair. I am a chanter. 
And everyone who knows anything about chanting knows you correct everything in your life by chanting every day. I think we could probably spend a whole lesson trying to figure out what she means by that, but there's lots of individuals. Just one example. One example. There's lots of people who mix and match their religions. There have been churches that have attempted the same things. The Baha'i Church was a popular movement 20, 30 years ago, attempted to combine all religious faiths under one, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Islam. You know, you hear much of them anymore. In Bloomington, we have a, a, a group of them. Uh, but there's a reason we don't hear too much of them anymore. They don't offer too much. And we can see you know, Universalist Church, there's many other examples. Go down to the uh, Caribbean, you'll see um, Christian groups that mix in voodoo to bring in tribal religions into what they're doing. And this syncretism, this mixing of religions, it's not a theoretical word that we put up on a screen. It is happening all around us. So we really need to ask ourselves, why would people do that? Why would some engage in a practice that God clearly has never liked, in a practice which led the Jews of Jeremiah's day to basically tell God, we don't care about what you want us to do. We're going to worship the way we want to. We want to come up with our own plans for how we want to act and how we want to go forward, and we want to carry them out. Why would someone say, we will not listen to God? What do you think? They like their own ways better than God's ways. Absolutely. Why else? They don't fear God. Okay. Absolutely. They don't understand who God is, and so they don't understand why they can't make the rules for themselves. Why else? Okay. Absolutely. So trying to build a bigger tent than God does. What else? Uh huh. Mm hmm. Anything else? How they were raised. Absolutely. I want to be accountable to myself and myself alone. Absolutely. For Israel here, we see another example. What were they trying to do? They were trying to make a guess. And they weren't confident that Jehovah was the one who was going to protect them. He didn't seem to have a, a good track record at the moment. So they were going to go with this queen of heaven instead. Maybe she can help a little bit more. We're not confident in our faith. And so we like to mix around, make sure that uh, we've got a little bit of everything. And anything else? Why would someone basically tell God, I don't like what you have to say. I don't want to mix in my plans uh, or I do want to mix in my plans with your plans for my life. Why would someone, instead of just ultimately completely turning away from God, these are people who still say they, they, they want to follow God, but they also want to follow some other things. Any other reasons? They don't know the power of God. They don't fear God appropriately because they don't understand who he truly is and, and who we are in respect to that. Anything else? Pride. Absolutely. I can... We've said a lot of these, but I can think of three reasons. Number one, it's sometimes people simply do not want to hear what God has to say. 2 Timothy 4.3 tells us, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. You know, sometimes people go looking for other teachers or, or many other teachers because they don't like what the teacher has already said. 
the word endure is in there. And I think it's appropriate. They can't stand to listen to what God has to say. And so they're going to go looking for something more pleasant. God has a plan for us as a congregation, as individuals, and we are to pick up our cross and carry it. It's not a pleasant message all the time. And the decision is ours if we are going to endure that teaching no matter the cost. Number two, other times we're not so deliberate about rejecting God. We don't go through and say, you know what? I want, my, I, I want to be in charge of my life and no one else can be uh, involved. Sometimes it's more subtle than that. Sometimes it's just we forget that God wants to be involved at all. And I'm reminded of that story that James puts in his fourth chapter about the businessmen, right? Where um, they go out and, and make a business plan. They want to go to this or that city. They want to spend a year there, make some money, and come back. That's their plan. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's a business plan that I think anyone who, who's involved in business would say, yeah, that, that checks off the boxes, right? That, that's a good plan. And yet, James says that it's arrogance. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. And again, God has a plan for us as a congregation and as individuals. And he, as James puts it, it is pure arrogance to forget that. God does want to be involved in our planning. He does want to be involved in our decision-making. And we can't forget that. We can't start to rest on, on pragmatics and logistics. These businessmen, they weren't doing anything wrong. They had a, a, a solid plan, but by the world standards, they, they had everything, but God was nowhere to be found. And sometimes we stop listening to God because we allow ourselves to forget that he's there. Finally, number three, we stop including what God has taught us uh, in our plan and our worship and how we want to move forward because that's how we have been taught. We also said this in Jeremiah 44, 17, uh, we read, but we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we have done. We, and who? Our fathers, our kings, our princes in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food were well off and saw no trouble. You catch that. The Jews, they were offering incense to the queen of heaven because they'd always done it that way. This is what we did back in Judah and Jerusalem. Their families had always done it that way. This is what our fathers did. People in authority over them had always done it this way, just as our kings and our officials did it. And they figured this had to work because at that time they had plenty of food and were well off and suffered no harm. Essentially, they were saying, we aren't going to listen to you, Jeremiah, and by extension, we're not going to listen to Jehovah because this is what our family has always done. This is what our friends have always done. This is what our church has always taught, and it satisfied them in the past. We think you're wrong, Jeremiah, they said to him, because this is how we've always seen God, so we're not changing. And against such reasoning, Jeremiah simply said, I know all that, but God said. But God said. Now, we need to realize that I, I assume these people were being very sincere. There's nothing in this passage that, that indicates that they were not smart, sincere people. They sincerely believed that they were right. Now, granted, they believed this despite all of God's word and what it said to the opposite, despite what their scriptures had condemned, but they believed they were right because that's the way their friends and family had always done things. That's what their church had always taught, and they found this practice quite satisfactory. And in spite of the fact, though, they were sincere, in spite of the fact that their families had always done it that way, in spite of the fact that the, the uh, 
body of authority had always taught them that this was okay. And in spite of the fact that they found this to be working for them, God was going to condemn them because they refused to listen to his word through the prophet Jeremiah. Now, we need to realize and we need to let it sink in. These were not stupid people. People like Tina Turner, who we had up there. The individuals that go to the churches that mix and match their religion, they're not stupid or insincere people. The businessmen from James 4, they were not stupid people for going out and making this plan. Many of these individuals, they're very intelligent. And the problem is not how smart they are. The problem is that they don't use their intelligence with the right frame of reference. They approach God from a frame of reference that is outside of God's word. We saw this morning, once we abandon the apostles' teaching or the teachings of Scripture, uh, it's a slippery slope for disaster. They start to depend on their own wisdom and their own strength and their own opinion, either consciously or, as we saw also, sometimes it can just be or subconsciously. We saw this morning and talked about it. There's never a scenario where in this congregation we're going to come one Sunday morning and someone's going to, to sneak in and swap out all the Bibles for another text. It's just not going to happen. But for us, it can happen subconsciously a lot earlier. Yeah, I put together a lot of Ikea furniture, unfortunately, the past couple of weeks. <laughs> and it's kind of like the guy who refuses to read the instructions, right? Because he, he's sure he can figure it out all by himself. And they end up, like me, putting it together, and they have six parts left over, and it doesn't work afterwards. And, and what happened to the Jews, it could happen to us too. They were God's people then. We are God's people now. They fell into the trap that uh, other people all throughout history have fallen into. And it's a trap that here in Greenfield, we risk falling into as well. And that's why it is so critical for us to guard our families against false teaching by constantly teaching the Bible and the Bible only. That's why it's so important to be here for classes and midweek Bible studies and youth groups. That's why it's so critical that we personally read and examine the scriptures rather than just taking my word for it or another teacher's word for it. It's why it's so critical for parents to teach their children to honor and respect God's word. You know, while a train was being put together. I imagine this has to be done in some sort of station, right? They have to link all of those together. Two men, they entered a car and they took you know, comfortable seats. They hadn't been there very long until uh, along came a conductor who asked them to move to the next car. Well, what's the matter with this one? One inquired. Well, nothing, but it's not coupled to anything that will take you anywhere. And what we need to ask ourselves is whether we are comfortable with what we believe, whether our... our parents have always believed something, or whether the church we grew up in has always taught something, we need to ask ourselves whether or not we believe it is actually hooked up to something that's going to move us forward. doesn't matter how comfortable we are. People of Jeremiah's day, they were very comfortable. They were very happy with the situation. They thought they had some extra insurance by offering the, this incense to the queen of heaven, but it was disastrous for them, and they didn't even know it. You know, that boy from the beginning of our class this morning, the one who uh, tried to wash his dog, he wasn't going to listen to that grocer who told him not to wash that dog with that powerful detergent. You know, maybe he had good intentions, but despite all of the warnings, he still turned on that spin cycle. And, and the Jews of Jeremiah's day, they did the same thing. When Jeremiah warned them with what God had said, they replied, we will not listen to you. Picking back up in uh, verse 24. Jeremiah said, Hear the word of the Lord, all Judah who are in the land of Egypt. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You and your wives have spoken with your mouths and fulfilled with your hands, saying, We will surely keep our vows that we have made to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. You will surely keep your vows and perform your vows. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. All Judah, who dwell in the land of Egypt, behold, I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my name shall no more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord God lives. Behold, I will watch over them for adversity and not for good. And all the men of Judah who are in the land of Egypt shall be consumed by the sword and by famine until there is an end to them. Yet a small number who escape the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah, and all the remnant of Judah who have gone to the land of Egypt to dwell there shall know whose words will stand, mine or theirs. And this shall be a sign to you, says the Lord, that I will punish you in this place, that you may know that my words will surely stand against you for your adversity. In verse 26 he says, it's one or the other. You can either choose me, and you clearly haven't. So you're not going to be able to use my name any longer. You're not going to be able to say the Lord God lives. You don't get that privilege once you abandon me and choose someone else. And later on, he says that they will be punished. And in the end, they will know whether they chose right or wrong. They will know whose words will stand, mine or theirs. I'm convinced it's God's words that will stand. So if that boy with the dog did it, and if the Jews of Jeremiah's day did it, could we do it too? Oh yeah. And as a congregation, as we make our plans for the future, as we make our plans for our families, and we make our plans for our own lives, we must not stop listening. Certainly we cannot tell God that we won't simply listen just because we don't like what he has to say. That's just foolish, but... And we know God's ways are higher than our ways, but we also need to be careful that we're not doing it in more subconscious ways to stop listening because we forget that God wants to be involved in our plans or because we've been taught something contrary to his words. God's plans start with us listening. And when we've heard the good news that Jesus rose from the grave to conquer death for us too, we can believe, we can repent of our sins, we confess Jesus as our Lord and Master, and we can be baptized for the remission of our sins so that we can serve in God's kingdom until we die or the Lord returns. And if you have listened, if you're ready to make God your only God and obey the gospel, come to the front of the room. 